Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome back to the Puck and Roll Podcast. Today is the first episode of our alternating weekly schedule, which is our plan moving forward on this podcast, where one week we have our typical Habs podcast that you know and love, and on the next week we have a different type of episode where we either have a guest appearance or we just talk about prospects, because let's face this, let us face it, I am the host of the podcast, I adore prospects, I need to talk about this at some point on this show. Uh, for today's episode, I am joined by the panelists, Aaron and Scott. So welcome, boys. Hello. Uh, to start, uh, we're going to do our only piece of uh, NHL content of the episode, and it's an important thing. Uh, Kirby Doc has been an incredible fit on the first line with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. And that contract is looking very good. I think it is definitely an interesting uh, situation the Habs have on their hands right now with uh, having finally found that guy to kind of flank Ca- uh, Suzuki and Caulfield on the wing. They tried a, a bunch of different guys last season, and it was kind of a big hit or miss thing. Like, obviously, Mike Hoffman had some results, and over this uh, start to this year, he's been scoring in absolute bunches. Like, I guess he's used to doing it. just seems like he's doing it far less often. But... Yeah, I think it's it's finally nice to see Doc break out and turn into the potential that he showcased for being truly a game-breaking player, something that he never really showcased when he was in Chicago. And I feel like a lot of the reason why people were are so surprised by the way he's played to start this year is just because of, again, how his stint in Chicago went and how the fact I don't think the Hawks really put their focus on developing him so much as more so they were trying to do damage control after all the stuff that came out in the aftermath of the Hawks' blow-up and their subsequent uh, attempt to rebuild now. So with the Habs having a chance to finally showcase sort of why Doc was the third overall pick. I think we're finally seeing the potential he has to be a truly game-breaking NHL player. And now that he has two other former first-round picks in Caulfield and Suzuki flanking him, I think it's just a really interesting trio. And they've just been such a treat to watch. And it kind of reminds me a lot of the old combination of Max Domi and Anthony Duclair in Arizona in the early years before that got broken up. And it's just, it's exciting to watch. And again, the one thing I was hoping for, uh, Sebastian, was that the Habs would be fun to watch this season. And that's exactly what they've been. Not necessarily always successful, but fun to watch. See, my favorite part about the bridge deal is that if you sign a four-year bridge deal, maybe you'll be overpaying a bit in years one and two, and maybe it'll pay off in years three and four. We are getting tremendous value 12 games into the season because he is not playing like a $3.3 million player. To be more specific, $3,362,500. That is like what a Kent Hughes W. That, that contract made a little sense when it got signed, and it makes absolutely no sense now. Yeah, even at the time of the contract, I was very happy about it because, firstly, when it expires, he's still an RFA, uh, which I think goes to show just how young Kirby Doc still is, that he signed a four-year deal and he's still under team control when that expires. And the number was just so low where I thought, wow, this he could be... $37,500 less annually than Paul Byron and Yoel Armia. Which isn't bad. and yeah i i think that like one of the big bonuses with having kent hughes as gm is the contracts are going to be excellent and we saw that this season every contract that kent hughes signed was a very very nice one uh kirby doc uh even the run pitlick extension uh who has been waived now but look it was a two-year one million aav contract right like that is Especially considering, okay, sorry, uh, but especially considering how many points he put up per game last year, 
that was a better contract than it should have been. And it was far more representative of, of what he's actually worth than what he could have actually commanded in free agency. Uh, and now it's going to be very fun to see him in and the then, AHL. Yeah. Montembeau, two times a million. Primo, That's also a steal. 870 or something. Yeah, it's really uh, it's really shown up honestly. Like it's been really great to see him playing like a true, not necessarily NHL goalie, but like a true top backup, like a one B option. Exactly. I've always been a big Sam Montembeau fan. Yeah, and he's been excellent this year. He was a weird story in Florida. He was a player who people they could never really get a read on just because of how hot and cold his play was. And in Montreal, now that his wrist is healed and he seems to finally be. Choking his sister for him. He's just been really fun to watch. He has the anti Niemi quality to him with flopping around and making these crazy saves every once in a while. And I've I've just been really enjoying the way the show with the form he's showcased. And he's a perfect kind of goaltender for this young team in a lot of ways. Exactly. I uh, it's been a very fun season to start. And Kirby Doc has just really exemplified that for me personally, uh, with the Habs of just the high end skill has just shown basically every single shift. He finds passes. Up for him? Exactly, right? Like, like Pure. I know a lot, like, so many people are pointing out, oh, they could have had Frank Nazer, but it's like, okay, the Habs made that trade before they even had that pick on the clock, right? They did not know what that was going to be when yeah. they made that trade. They did not trade away Frank Nazer, who I adore. I-, I ranked him second overall for a reason. I love Frank Nazer. They traded away Alexander Romanov, the first pick of the third round, and the first pick of the fourth round for Kirby Doc. And on the surface level, just that is insane value. Alexander Romanov, in my view, is a number four defenseman when he pans out. Like he, um, yeah, just. And by the way, when, when you say <laughs> that we traded Romanov, Odelius, and Isaiah George, that sounds a little less good. For sure. But when you think we traded Romanov. But it wasn't Odelius. Or Isaiah George, right? Because like like Adelius went with the pick, uh, one before the one that the Habs traded, uh, okay, in the no, third never round. Mind. Yeah, so it wasn't, yeah, even, it wasn't yeah, even on the board was. anymore. So so Adelius oh. was my last like high end first round guy that to fall, and he went the pick before the one that we sent to Chicago. Yeah, no, 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 I, I, I'm mistaken. It was ninety eight. They, they, they picked I, Gavin Isaiah Hayes George. with that pick, I believe. Gavin, uh, Hayes, but as yes. Isaiah George was the one, and that one hurts me a bit because I I was one of the biggest fans of Isaiah George. Uh, in I this am draft forty five. I, I I had him at like 26. Like I, I really like Isaiah George. Uh, and if you if you frame it in a sense of uh, the Habs traded away, who else was on the board? Uh, oh yeah, like like Frank Nazer, um uh Gleb Trikazov and Isaiah George. It's like okay, that, that sounds and rough. Kovalev. Sure. Uh, like right now but, it's also hindsight's also 2020 at this moment, and I think a lot of it exactly at face value. And, and, and I the think Habs a lot probably of the, wouldn't uh, have picked those players, right? Well, no, I, like, think, I think a lot of the value taking like Mackey. Mm. They were picking Lakira Mackey. Uh, if Noah Warren had been on the board, they would have gone with him, but he wasn't. We would have just taken Vinny Rohr earlier, probably. Honestly, like I, that 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 was a very likely outcome. Um, I also think a lot of it at the time was just the fact that Habs fans were so infatuated with Romanov, not necessarily for his play, but just because of how exciting a player he was to watch. For it sure. kind of reminded me of like if Victor Mete's career path actually went the full distance and he didn't just fall off a cliff like in halfway through his uh, tenure in Montreal. But now that like Doc is here and he's producing so well, I think honestly it's mitigated. And like the main thing a lot of Habs fans were looking to lose, like Romanov's going to be a great piece for the Islanders team and he's going to be a solid player, but he won't be a standout player. And I think Doc is going to be or has shown already that he can be a stand-up player. Exactly. Uh, and I think Kirby Doc is a real piece of this core moving forward and a piece they can build around, right? Even if the and Habs do not end up... Four years and right, the even, East team control after. 100%. But even if you if you think of it in the sense of uh, the Habs uh, needing, like, like how they can build out this forward core, this is a, a nice transition to the following segment, but... If in the next first round in this year, uh, if the Habs don't decide to go down the route of picking a centerman in the first round, that's okay because they already have Kirby Doc and Nick Suzuki. And if both those players keep developing like they're showing they can, that is an excellent 1A, 1B situation for, for the Montreal Canadiens moving forward as long as their wings are very strong to support that. So some examples of players that that that, that, that could fit that kind of bill would be Matvey Mishkov, depending how far we would fall and where the Habs pick. Uh, 
Andrew Cristal, who is an exceptionally skilled uh, playmaker at the WHL, and Zach Benson, who's probably the, one of the smartest players in the entire WHL. And there's so much potential there of wingers as well at the top end of the class. Uh, the 2023 draft class is exceptionally forward heavy, but in term, it's not just centermen. Like there's a lot of guys that are just wingers who are going to fall just because of the quality down the middle. And that's somewhere where the Habs now have the luxury of actually going with just getting wingers rather than needing to go center and picking for position because they have Kirby Doc and Nick Suzuki, which I think is an exceptional luxury. It is interesting, honestly, going forward. Also, like with Feta, like obviously the upcoming 2022 23 draft, it's one of those drafts where, like, the, a lot of the players or the picks that are like people are really talking about are ones that even the people who don't follow prospects are keeping note of and taking being aware of, like Mishkov and Connor Bedard and guys that just, even if you're not into a prospect guy, if you're just a general fan of the NHL, these guys are people you're keeping your eyes on just because of that much of, a, of just because they're that much of a game breaking player, they potentially be that much of a game breaking player. So, I think honestly, with the way the Habs last draft went with getting Lane Hudson and Yaroslavkovsky, I just—it's going to be really interesting to see how that continued. And for the first time, finally, good drafting goes into what is potentially a very, very intriguing 2023 draft. The 2022 draft was—we're seeing future players in the NHL. The 2023 draft, we're seeing the future of the NHL. Exactly, that's a good point. I mean, Shane Wright was very Shane nice Wright, but like it was more of. Obviously, the hype train for Wright, that kind of fell off when he dropped, obviously. But, like, yeah, you make a good point there, Aaron. I think we're finally seeing some players who truly, like, with Connor Bernard, have the future, have potentially be the future of this league. Exactly. And it, it extends far beyond that. And it's been interesting because the rhetoric uh, with, with Habs fans has been very divided with the start of the season. Many are just excited to have a young, exciting team. And others are frustrated because the team is playing better and winning more games than they should in in terms of actually getting Conor Bedard. But I guess my point of view as a scout there is, of, of course you want to add Bedard, right? Like, like this is a generational talent. Of course you want that. But even if you were last place, it's an 18% chance. It's not a guarantee. It's anything but a guarantee. But there's so much depth at the top end of this draft class. I think Shane Wright, for me, if I were to rank him uh, among 2023 draft eligibles, would probably fall in my six to nine range. Yuri Slavkovsky would be my mid-teens, right? Like, this is an incredible draft class. Wherever the Habs end up picking, if both the Habs and the Florida Panthers miss the playoffs, there is a legitimate possibility of adding two first-round draft picks who end up better players than Yuri Slavkovsky, who just went first overall, which to me is absolutely mind-boggling. Right. This is not a thing of, oh, we're going to end up with some middle six scrub in the first round. This is the end of the world. Like, no, this is an exciting opportunity for the Habs, even if they do miss out on Conor Bedard, because it is such an incredibly skilled draft class. And there are so many different storylines that that we can follow here. Off the air, we were were already talking about Matt Michkov, who, because of the contract situation, because of the size, because of the absolute lack of defensive awareness or intensity or engagement in any sense of the word could realistically fall outside of the top three, which a year ago would have been deemed impossible. But one of the reasons for him falling isn't because he's a bad player. It's well, it's because he's Russian and because uh, he will not be in the NHL for four years after he's drafted at least. And it's because the rest of that class is incredibly strong. Uh, this is not a year where you have those three top-end prospects with Bedard, Pantelli, and Michkov, and then after that, it's an absolute cliff. It's far more complex than that, far more interesting to analyze as a scout, because you have names like uh, Leo Carlson and Callum Ritchie and Zach Benson, who all have legitimate star upside as NHL players, and that is very exciting to scout. I mean, with Mishkov, you're also looking at a you're looking at a Kirill Kaprizov route with his development, obviously. Sure. But the thing about Kaprizov was that for the longest time, he was a very unknown, under the radar player in terms of his potential in the NHL. And it was only like once he got closer to signing that contract, that people started to realize what the Wild had on their hands. But with Mishkov, the moment he selected for those four years, he'll be, he'll be followed every single year, and people will be excited to see what he'll be bringing to the NHL because he's looking with a lot of the KHL imports. 
they only really come up on the radar like suddenly in like their final one to two years and they finally start exploding really producing we saw that with Artemi Panarin we saw that with Andrei Kuzmenko and also the number of failed KHL for agents I can name from Vadim Shipashov to whatever but go for guys like Panarin Panarin was a bottom six player turned into a top line player and I think with Mishkov finally it's gonna be a guy who's gonna be top line every single year for those four years and people are gonna be having their eyes peeled on him the whole way if exactly judging solely based off talent Mitchkov probably still goes at two, but I think that Fantilly's played his way very much into the two conversation. And For sure. just the contract alone, I think that Leo Carlson, if he keeps up his SHL play, Leo Carlson passes him. I think that if Zach Benson has a monster year, he's on top. Like, there's, I know a, a lot of teams are probably high on Braden Yeager. I'm not yeah. particularly crazy with him. But there's a lot of players here where the teams can either have a guy in their system in North America right now or watch him in watch him in Russia for four years. That could really play into a decision. And if Mitchkov is available at seven or eight, that's I mean, it's not even a no-brainer at that point, but at the same time, he could score like 70 goals. The goal scoring potential with Matt Mitchkov is sky high. Uh, one comparison that I feel very comfortable making with him is that Mitchkov right now as a, I believe he just turned 18 or is about to turn 18. He's one of the older players in the draft class. He reminds me a ton of uh, draft year plus two Cole Caulfield. So 20 year old Cole Caulfield, which was a season where he won the Hobie Baker. It was a season where he entered the NHL, sc- scored four goals in 10 regular season games, and then went on an absolute tear against uh, against Vegas in uh, that playoff series. And Mishkov right now reminds me a ton of him. The defensive awareness is worse. That is un- a- a- unquestionable. However, the goal scoring, uh, the, the, the scoring habits, attacking the middle of the ice, uh, the shooting mechanics are even better than draft year plus two Cole Caulfield. And I'm saying this as someone who believes that Cole Caulfield's shooting mechanics are top five in the entire NHL. Um, Mitchkov's mechanics are basically perfect. Uh, he can shoot from anywhere in any way, uh, with a ton of room or with no room. Uh, he knows how to find soft ice in the offensive zone. He creates in every way. He's not a pure shooter. He knows how to also create for teammates. Also knows how to, how to use his shot to open up space for teammates, which is, which is incredibly important for the projectability of his goal scoring. It also scoring. has to be a consideration that actually could make him a really good choice for the Habs is Nick Bobrov, our new director of amateur scouting, I believe, has very close ties to SK St. Petersburg. And if there's one team that might be able to get Mitchkov out of his 25, 20, 25-26 KHL contract, it could be Bobrov. For sure. And again, there are so many complexities with teams and the players they draft, right? It depends on their interviews. It depends on the people they know, what they say about them, connections with the, with the organi- organizations they're in. And that is compounded when they're in an organization for four years following their draft, right? Like that is incredibly important. Not just any KHL organization. I'm no, of course. I'm organization that is it's almost being financed by the worst. in a lot of ways. It's the it's, it's the worst organization in terms like politically right best organization worst politically in terms of talent it's the best organization because it's oh oh hundred percent I'm saying worst as in like morally morally yes morally extremely <laughs> yeah. corrupt uh, the things they do to retain their players to not go to the NHL right like what they did with their goaltender right they they literally they got him sent to Siberia in the military because he wanted to play in Philadelphia this year right like. This is not a great organization by any not stretch only that, of imagination. Yeah, especially with guys like Demir, uh, Demir Zafirov, who was seen as a guy who could go to the NHL. Which, again, completely next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's starting to become questionable that Dmitry Nikolaev doesn't have an AHL contract, an NHL contract. Yes, but like something's up. Yes, there always is. I was personally very surprised that the CSKA trio. Um, from from the 2022 class got drafted as high as it did uh weirdly enough the by far worst player from that not maybe not by far but the worst player from that trio Artyom duda went at the beginning of the second round because arizona decided to not draft for upside in their entire draft class except for logan cooley because 
I don't know what they're doing. Um, but uh, I mean, Kirill Dolchenkov yeah, they've, they've got, got drafted really as well. Uh, Vladimir Grudinin fell to the fifth round, but he got oh, picked so far. Fell forty fell... picks past Dolchenkov. Yes, which is absurd. Uh, but it also demonstrates that teams did not hesitate to draft players from CSKA, despite everything that was going on. So there is still a consciousness of, of okay, we're still going to draft players from this organization, despite what they're doing to their players, because we do believe enough that, that we can entice these, these young men to come over to the NHL and it perform also, for it us. It looks good for Russia to have that generational talent in the NHL. Like, what mm, that, 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 That's where I would dis- disagree, personally. Uh, because they want to hold on to their talent, right? Like R- Russia does not want to give it away to the U.S. for the U.S. to profit off of their players. They want to keep them domestic, right? Uh, that that's how they make the most profit off of them. That's how they make them the biggest. Unless you're a guy biggest. like Alex Ovechkin. But e- I, even I then, if, if Russia would have had the opportunity to hold on to Ovechkin and not let him play in the NHL, they would have, right? They, they would have. counter that too because the KHL had an Ovechkin named Sergei Sergei Moisiakin who spent 17 years in the league and never left Russia and never went to the exactly. NHL. So you can point and he was an absolute cult hero. He was a right? guy who literally could have dominated in the NHL if he wanted to come here. <laughs> exactly, and again, I, I I definitely do believe that that that. CSK is going to try to keep Mishkov, right? They're not going to just give him away lightly. Uh, however, not the kind of player you can send to Siberia. No, no, it is a different situation there, and yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with him because I think it's going to be a, like a real telltale sign of what's going to happen with Russian players in the future, just because he is so high profile. Uh, and he, I mean, this year we saw a couple players. Go in the in the first round, right? With the, in the Euro, right? and yeah, yeah. So they went both in the first round, uh, and then Duda went right outside the first round. So you had, you had three guys go top thirty-five, uh, and yeah. So so teams aren't shying away necessarily of drafting them, and I think Europe was the only one that actually fell relative to the consensus yeah, uh, in terms of Europe where he got was picked. A top ten pick if he was nah. North American, nah. Um, I, I, I like Yurov in the in the fifteen range and he fell a bit to twenty one. So oh, I had him in the twenty range. But just yeah. the NHL teams like. True. He he's very well rounded, a good two way guy. But anyways, yeah, so so Mitchkov is a very interesting situation and he's incredibly skilled. Like the again, the upside, uh if if we're ranking this class by upside, it's Connor Bedard and then Matvey Mitchkov. And that is no slight to Adam Fantilli, who I believe could be a dominant dominant power forward two-way centerman in the NHL scoring 40 plus goals a season uh, would immediately be the best prospect in basically any system in the league that does not include, I don't know, honestly, he probably would have gone first overall in every draft since Jack Hughes. Like, like this, this is an incredibly talented I think it would player. Have a close competition with Jack Hughes. Probably would have. Um, however, I mean, Jack Hughes, yeah, probably, probably would have been quite close. Uh, I still, I still think, Again, it's a question of would would teams have gone for for size over Jack Hughes, right? Well, are you but talking the, about like in terms of like players who like were uneven in terms of going first overall? Because in that case, I picked the Heischer draft. But no, I'm, I'm saying going back, it, like like how far back in the drafts could you go until there's a draft where Fatilli would not have gone first overall? Oh, okay, yeah, well, that is, yeah. 2016, I think, is is the clear cutoff point. Yeah, I think absolutely. Jack Hughes' year would definitely be a possibility. I don't know. I, I, yeah, he like, was hype, but he's European, and Europeans always fall. Yeah, I definitely think the key That's the thing. Jack Hughes, was Jack, Jack, Jack Hughes was Jack Hughes. And most people forget, like he was seen yeah. as being like another guy who could be not a generational player, but you know, at the time his hype was obviously incredibly high, and he's. So the, Jack, yeah. Jack, Jack Hughes's point per game pace in with the US NTDP is something that no one else has even come close to, right? Yeah, like, exactly. like he he broke barriers. But so, anyways, it's all to say that Fantilli has an exceptionally high ceiling, but I don't think it quite compares to Matthew Mitchkov because Mitchkov could be a truly generational talent uh, if he makes if he, if he hits his ceiling, if he makes it to the if he actually comes over to the NHL. It's just there's the safety with Fantilli. It's the safety with the contract situation. It's the safety in terms of play styles. It's the safety in terms of deployment, right? Because the undersized Russian sniper who does not put in an ounce of effort defensively is not going to get the same opportunity in a team as 
the Canadian big power forward is going to, right? Like, like there is also that to consider of, of how much our team's coach is going to be willing to use their players that, that they pick. But and it's going to be a fascinating watch. Fantasy, he looks like I was high on him going into the season, and he's probably the player from the 23 draft I've scouted the most so far. He is such a wildly dependable player. Incredibly. So smart, so efficient at everything he does. He'd be a first-line center in the NHL right now on most teams. On most teams, I would I would tend to agree. So, it, like again, if the Habs end up getting winning the lottery, but for second overall, of course, you're going to have fans be kind of heartbroken that they missed out on Bedard. But landing Anna Fantilli would be exceptional. It would be absolutely game-changing for this organization. And it's the best prospect we've had in our pool since, like, Guy Lafleur. So, or Patrick Watt, probably, but yeah. I mean, yeah, Jesus. it would be going that, back that far. Yeah, it it really would going definitely. Back there. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like I, 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 I can't think of a prospect in the half system who would have had a higher ceiling upon acquisition than Patrick Watt going back. I mean, we're also talking about Guy Lafleur putting up 130 goals in 62 games in the 1970 season yeah. of the QMJHL. But yeah, I mean, I think Wall because Wall was Wall was a high pick, but it wasn't until the '86 he, he, he playoffs fell. that he truly became third what round. he was. Again, he was third he, round, he, he, exactly. He's a third, exactly. Oh god, because I like I feel like there is like I don't know, like I feel like there is a case of like a guy like along past Lafleur because like there was a time like in between Lafleur and when things started going downhill in like, 1988, where like there was some guys who were selected who I feel like were above Fentilli in terms of their expectations. But was it because they were Quebecois or was it because they were really... It's, I, I mean... Because like, when you're trying to make comparisons to Guy Lafleur in like, the modern day, like it's kind of impossible because Guy Lafleur is almost like a legend when you think about like in terms of... Like, he's like a mythos in terms of like his career and his production and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but it, it's just an incredibly interesting draft class because they're, like, this, despite the fact that I think the top 10, at least for me... Is quite solid. It's quite a solid group. I don't think there's gonna be too much like in and out in that in that grouping uh, in this season. But the very interesting storylines are gonna be with the movement within that top ten, and mm-hmm. especially between three and ten, because I think that there, there's a ton of variation that can happen depending on how the season unfolds. You can see guys like Leo Carlson cement themselves as the third overall guy, or if his production in the SHL dries up, he could fall to like seven, and I don't think that would be impossible. Uh, it's just incredibly interesting. And then you have guys who might not even go in the top 10, who for me are top 10 locks. Like Andrew Cristal would be the prime example of that. He's he's typically being being ranked around uh, 20th overall at the moment. He's but to me, yeah, it's absurd. Whoa. Which is which is insane because he is incredibly high skill. Uh, his production in the WHL last year was over a point a game. It's a D minus one. This year is even better than that. Uh, he is an incredible playmaker who also has a lethal shot. Look, he's an undersized winger, uh, which is immediately going to make him fall, like without a doubt. But he plays with 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 high intensity, uh, despite the fact that he's not, not the absolute strongest guy. Uh, the defensive awareness is a work in progress, but there's a lot more there to like than with a guy like Mishkov. And he can easily be molded into a first-line winger at the end of the day. And this is a guy who might be available into playoff teams picking with their draft picks, right? Like, so let, let's just hypothetical here. We let's say we're picking fifteenth overall. The Philadelphia Flyers end up with fourteenth overall. They take Cam Allen, and we end oh up with under fifteen. That to me would, would be poetic. That would be poetic. Uh, absolutely hilarious. Uh, because. Cam Allen, uh, as as Aaron is, is is quite aware, is not my favorite player in this draft class. I think he has some exceptional tools. Uh, the mobi- the mo- mobility is incredible. Uh, the flashes of transition upside are lovely, and he could be so much. But the decision making is is painful. Uh, the defensive consistency is an issue, and despite the fact that he he Coming into the season was quite clearly the top defensive prospect in the class. To me, he's falling outside the first round. Like he has, he has not shown me anything that. Every time I watch Cameron Allen play, I get frustrated because he could he 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 could be so great, 
And I just don't see the, him clicking and all those tools together into one comprehensive package. It's just, it's a bunch of tools individually and there's no cohesion there. Uh, he shoots from the point about five times a game, four of those end up hitting shin pads and going off to the side and into the boards. Uh, despite the fact that he has a, 35, I like it. But... Yeah, but he's not going to, right? Like, like He's going to be a top 15 guy. I'd be shocked if he, if he didn't end up going there just because he is that, he has that international pedigree already as a Canadian defenseman. He has that two-way game that people love. He's a great skater, uh, and he's an OHL player, right? Like, this is the mold of players that that, that just doesn't fall, even if their, their actual draft campaign is underwhelming for many reasons. And, I mean, look, he won Rookie of the Year in the OHL last year over guys like Callum Ritchie. And, yeah, I, I just I, – I, I do believe that uh, – that, that that he will end up going higher than than I will personally have him ranked, but if we see a situation where he gets picked one slot before the Habs go and they end up with someone like Andrew Kristall or God forbid Zach Benson, uh, who could technically fall because he's small, yeah, like, that I, would be very intriguing. Intriguing. The reaction to the Habs picking Zach Benson would be just just about on the level of the Habs picking Lane Hudson. I think that that in terms of I, yes, I think that could be comparable. It would not be a reaction similar to the Cole Caulfield one. Cole Caulfield's a lot flashier than Zach Benson is, but I think Zach Benson could be an exceptional two-way winger in the NHL. He is every play he makes is incredibly calculated. Uh, he he manages his teammates so well. Last year, he was the best player on his team, and that was on a team with. I mean, it was the Winnipeg Ice, right? Like that, that was an absolute powerhouse of a team. He outperformed Matthew Savoy. He outperformed Connor Geeky. He outperformed Mikey Milne, who, as a D plus one, was exceptional on that team. And Zach Benson, as a D minus one, was quite clearly the most refined player in that lineup, which is something quite special. And look, he's not, look, even like in terms of production this year, he hasn't been the absolute flashiest. He's not going to be a pick. Where I would see ha- like, like many fans like like hammering the table and being like, we need this guy at like fifth there overall. There'll be like three, and they're the guys in this call right now. Possibly, exactly. And I I I love Zach Benson's game, uh, but there's it's just again he's he's one of many in that range for me. Like for me, uh, on my current list, I have Connor Bedard at one. Uh, Adam Fantilli at two, Matt Michkov at three, and then I have a second tier where which I haven't ranked yet, but is a grouping of three players: uh, Callum Ritchie, Leo Carlson, and Zach Benson. Uh, I like Zach Benson a lot. Uh, and then just outside of that, I have guys like uh, Brayden Yeager and Andrew Cristal, who are interesting cases for sure. I, I, I like Cristal more than I like Yeager so far. Uh, Brayden Yeager. Uh, is a dependable centerman who's going to probably go top five in this draft. And oh yeah, he's he will. Like he's very well regarded by NHL scouts. I'm not entirely sure if he's gonna crack my top ten. And I I can see why. Um his 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 shot is probably quite clearly the third best in the entire draft class behind Mitchkov and uh and Bedard, and that's saying something because like Fantilli has an exceptional shot, um, and so many other players. Like, have... After you spoke his praises last week, I watched some Callum Ritchie. Isn't he? Isn't he fun? Is, they aren't even comparable to me. Yeah, like, the I, outside I, and the floor. I would. I would tend to agree. I, I think Braden Yeager uh, is is well well rounded, but apart from that exceptional shot which really, really just shines a lot on the power play. Uh, he needs some space to get it off to its full effectiveness, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just limits him a bit. And I mean, Braden Yeager probably would have gone third overall for me. Second oh, or third overall for me in 2022. Exactly. He's an exceptional prospect. It's just all relative, right? So I'm just underwhelmed because of how much is out there. Exactly. Like, like, like Braden Yeager, like, I'm not, not saying he's bad by any stretch of the imagination. He probably would have gone ahead of Brad Lambert on my rankings, and I adored Brad Lambert. It's just when you compare him in the same tier as guys like Zach Benson and Callum Ritchie and Leo Carlson, that's where I have some more qualms. But 
it, it does also show the extent of the depth at the high end of this draft class when we are discussing uh, Braden Yeager possibly outside the top 10 on our personal rankings, when we I also acknowledge that he would have gone second or third. Where Yeager's out of the top 10 is 2003. Um, I think 2016. I'd, I'd say 2015 probably... over 2016. Uh, I, 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 sorry, I, I meant 15, yeah. sorry. Uh, yeah, I, like there, I don't, I don't think you can really argue him ahead of guys like like with with revisionist history guys ahead like like Sebastian Ajo and Kyle Connor definitely should have been top 10 picks but yeah it, it's it's a fascinating draft class because there is that 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 depth at the top end of it and what i find absolutely hilarious is uh the fact that the Habs could end up with one of these players in return for Ben Chirot, right like if the Florida Panthers miss the playoffs Kent Hughes possibly get swap Ben Chirot for a future first line player. And, and I guarantee you that somebody in your in one of our top 32s will be available with that fourth rounder. Is oh for sure. Uh, it might be 2024. I, I I'd have to double check that though. Uh I'll check right now. But it, it it's fascinating to me because uh it, it's such a fun draft class and I, I, despite having scouted for months already, like I'm just scratching the surface of it so far, but the, the depth of it is, is really quite incredible. Uh, even if you go, get into like the US NTDP class, like, like this is a very, very strong uh, NTDP group, very com- quite comparable in some ways to last year with guys like Oliver Moore and Will Smith uh, go and then ranging down to Wait, the Ryan fourth Leonard. round of gains all this year. Solid pickup, right? Like really yeah. solid pickup. Like I, I, I like Gain Dome a lot. Um, and some Smilatic. people, uh, yeah, I mean, like Smilatic, Smilatic is, is is decent. I, I I haven't really been keeping tabs on him. I wonder how he's been doing with Wisconsin to start the season. Uh, yeah, he but changed schools, right? Sorry, he he changed schools, right? Yeah, so he switched from uh, uh, Quinnipiac to uh, to Wisconsin. Uh, to start the season, he has one goal in one six goal games in six for games. Wisconsin, which is uh, not he has many, a minus right? four. As a what D plus three? Uh D yes. plus plus three. You need a D plus two. Three. D plus three, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so so Smellonic was always a guy where I was like, eh, eh, he's 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 okay. But he's definitely a third rounder in 2020. Yes, that he was. Um but to end up with that unprotected 2023 first round draft pick for Ben Sherat is absolute insanity. And I I'd be very curious to see if the Habs can get a similar type of return for someone yeah. like Josh Anderson, right? Oh. Like like Josh Josh Anderson, to me, especially with the with the direction this team is going in, is going to be a third liner going Can't forward. He's a, he's a third liner now, right? Like with that contract, like firstly you'd free up five and a half million in cap, which is huge. But to get like the type of return that he could command, be, just because. Of, the, his archetype of player is so highly desired in the NHL. Josh Anderson, top, top ten pick for Josh Anderson. No, not in twenty twenty three. I I don't think GMs would be quite that absurd with it. But I think if if you're talking to a team like the New York Islanders, who are off to a decent start on the season, uh, and who were interested in Josh Anderson at the draft. Uh, the discussion for the 13th overall pick, which ended up getting uh, Alex Romanov, which we were talking about earlier on, uh, Josh Anderson was also part of those, those trade discussions. I mean, imagine so there is Romanov back in an Anderson trade or something. I think that it, it's unlikely, right? Because I, I wouldn't actually want it's, that all it's, that much. Because it's a bond severed. I, I would agree. But if, if you could get the New York Islanders first round pick in 2023 for Josh Anderson... You pull the trigger, right? Like I, I, I think, think th- th- this is this is the draft where Kent Hughes has to double down on draft picks. Uh, this yeah. is the year where you go all in, right? Like you, uh, like okay, obviously the Habs aren't fully tanking this year. At least if this unsustainable start can actually be sustained to some extent, or if it just prevents them from that top three or top five pick, uh, unless they get lucky in the lottery. I don't know why. But, I just feel like Josh Anderson's going to end up in California. Well, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, 
I, I could I could definitely see LA paying an arm in the first or something. Or, okay, I mean that would be that would be insane if the Habs did that. Those would, kind of offers are the way that uh, Anderson was spoken about at the draft. Yeah, but that's like a, fir- a first and Turcotte. That's it, that, it feels like, like LA's given up on Turcotte. So that's fair, but I think that I, I, I think or Sean Dursey or something. Oh God, no! They would not do that. They would not. Anderson they would a special breed. They would. But I mean, again, if one person were to overpay for Anderson, it would be Mark Bergevin yes. or Lula Lamorello, right? Those are the two GMs where I'd be like, they they probably would definitely overpay for this guy. But yeah, it, or Philadelphia, Chuck Fletcher would definitely pay way too much for Josh Anderson. Uh, I would love to see it happen. I so would I. Uh, obviously, if you're dealing with Philly, you're not going to get their first round pick. Unless they're stupid enough to think that that their start, which has only been because of Carter Hart, is somehow sustainable, and decide they want to go all in this year for a playoff spot, and they deal their first round pick for Josh Anderson, which would be the trade of the I'm century dreaming. because that could we're, honestly we're end up as a top five pick. Uh, but I, I think if you can get any type of first round pick in this draft class for Josh Anderson, you pull the trigger, right? I don't I don't care if it's like even Tampa Bay, right? If you can get a late first rounder. Honestly, I would just take it at this point because players are going to fall. Players that should go top 20 are going to be available at 32. And top 20 in this draft class is top 10 in a normal class, right? Like, like you're going to get tremendous. You're going to get a player better than Josh Anderson, most likely. Yes. And and look, even if you don't, you've ripped the five and a half million, right? And then you can weaponize that for a trade to get an additional first round pick like you did with Sean Monaghan. Right, there's so much that you can do also, with Coffield that. Caulfield needs an extension. Jordan Coffield Harris needs an extension. Yep. Actually, I feel like that, that could be. The, it wasn't planned, but we discussed this about three or four months ago before the draft. Now, what do you think that Caulfield extension is going to look like? Yeah, again, I, I do believe that that the Suzuki contract will be an interesting baseline for it. Right, I think that like I'd still be very interested in just matching the. That, that 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 deal right just just give him that 7.85 million a year uh i feel like 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 Caulfield would 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 be interested in taking that personally uh because again he's more limited than, than suzuki right like he's he's more one-dimensional yeah. he's not the captain of the team uh and they're good friends i i think he personally i i do believe he would take that type of, of offer and i think kent uh, hughes is kent hughes weaponizes that exactly like, you're not the captain of the team you're not as Two way you, you 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 have less goals than, than Nick Suzuki has this year, and then we end up. Cole Caulfield has like, eight, and Suzuki has, has nine, right? Like, like even when you go on that comparison, it's like, well, Suzuki is doing this. Like, I I feel like Ken Hughes could probably pull off a deal at like seven odd million. I'd be surprised if he got that in, but look, even even if he gets a bit more than Suzuki, if you get Cole Caulfield at eight times eight, right? Like you're laughing, I find right. Like you are you are you're securing a potential 50 goal score for eight years and you just take that and the cap might be going up four million dollars this exactly year. exactly uh the cap's going to be going up significantly within the next four years so that by, by the time that, that contract halfway through coffee at that point sorry it makes up the difference between mike hoffman and exactly at that point yeah and again it, it, the habs i'm very curious to see what they do in terms of trading veterans this season and in the offseason to, to to free up the cap space because there's a lot of different options there, right? Like you can move a guy like Yolar Mia, uh, or you hold on to him and instead move a guy like Mike Hoffman, right? Like Hoffman has been on an absolute tear. Uh, I mean, the last two games, which isn't a long stretch by any means, but he has looked a lot more confident, right? Like, like, like his play has absolutely changed with those two goals he scored against Detroit. He needs those, those two lucky bounces off of the, the pad saves in order to regain confidence. And a confident Mike Hoffman is honestly still a, a, quite a frightening sight because his shot is absurd. So uh, when he gets going, I he is a real scoring threat. Like the Bruins in 2016, where they just got base, they got their entire team locked up for like six years. For sure. Yeah. Long-term cap flexibility where they can add the players around them, but they have $40 million of players locked in. You see, I I personally like that that strategy, right? Because not only do you lock in your entire core and your core feels like they have job security and are sticking together, which I think is great from a team building aspect uh, and standpoint, but 
you keep them all cap controlled, right? Like, like okay, sure, maybe one of those contracts isn't going to age nicely, but the vast majority will. And like, let, especially with the rising Jordan cap. Harris to a six-year deal at three and a half million. I, I would say if you can get Jordan Harris at eight times 3.25 or something. I don't think do that. that any agent would sign that. But Really? But do you think Jordan Harris is similar to Zach Whitecloud? Six times 2.75. In terms of what they've shown so far, in terms of what an agent can argue, kind of. And agents can use. Exactly. Has so the agent I, mind. I, if you're talking a six-year deal at $3 million for Jordan Harris, yeah, that's insane. Caden Gooley is going to be scary once, when it comes to it. Yes, Caden Gooley is going to be a far more interesting contract negotiation. I think there you're looking more in the 5 to $6 million range where he may or may not end up being worth that contract. But, but I, know, I think that's what was going to happen. But fortunately, that's a little down the road. Sorry? That's what I think we both thought was going to happen with Alexander Exactly. Romanov, exactly. He was going to sign an eight-year deal at like five and a half million. That was, that, that was my prediction. It was going to take a long time for him to become that player. If he did. If he all. did. Right? But no, it's going to be a fascinating year for Montreal because in a year's time, I think we're going to have a far better sense of the direction of this organization, whether that is in a good or a bad way from our perspectives, because the 2023 draft is the one where Kent Hughes should, and by from everything he's shown so far, will double down on and just go for as many high-end picks as he possibly can. I think that that is a draft where we're, we're going to see the Habs trade up from wherever they are, uh, possibly from, from the Florida pick and trade up to get two picks in the top 10. I would not be surprised that that happened whatsoever. And it's also then the off season where we're going to have a far better sense of the contract situation of this team moving forward, because we are going to have guys like Jordan Harris and Cole Hoffman locked up long-term, hopefully. Yeah. And if, if I'm doing my addition right next season, next season, we should have right around 30 million in cap space. In terms of million. expiring deal. Really? So we're, we're going to have, that seems off to me. Season, 38 million, 237 and forwards already locked up. So that's, let's call that 38 plus 10 in defense, which is ridiculous, but that's what we have. So it's yeah. 48. No, we it's more. Five. It's more because uh, Mike Matheson isn't being counted in there. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to him later when I get to the LTIR. Okay. Five million in goalies. So we're at now 48, 53. Mike Matheson, 58. ML Heinemann, 58.1. And the cap is going to be probably eighty-six million next year, twenty-eight million in cap space. It, yeah, interesting. It, again, it's, it's a lot of options there, right? And 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 the Habs should also move on from some of their depth forwards. Like I, I, I believe that if, if the Habs can find a way to move on from Josh and or not move on, but like, like to, to get value back for Josh Anderson, uh, Yormia, and Mike Hoffman, that is. On its own, that is what thirteen million dollars freed up. Uh, Yoel Armia, Mike Hoffman, so that's seven nine, twelve nine, thirteen point four million. Yeah, that's a lot of money, and you and get I, I back for Anderson time to move on from uh, Joel Edmondson. I, I would, yeah, I, I could see why. I just don't think the Habs will. I, th- I think the Habs are going to wait until he's expiring, uh, and then at a deadline to move him because they're the the, the defensive core is already off. so young. Exactly. Yeah, but I think they're going to wait until the trade deadline of next year, so 2024, uh, to move and him. Kovacevic has proved he's a good enough NHLer. Yeah. We're running out of spots, which isn't isn't the problem I at all thought we were going to have at the beginning of the year. No. No, exactly. And, uh, I mean, like, like, like Chris Weidman is going to get waived or moved at some point in time. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it's it, like in terms of uh, Martin Louis' uh, utilization, it's quite clear that that he's going to be the odd man out when Madison returns. So, yeah, it, it's it's a fascinating spot for the Montreal Canadiens because, well, the draft lottery on its own is going to shape the future of this organization in many ways. But I think the contract situation is is really something that that, that is not being focused on enough in terms of its long-term impact on this team, right? Because bringing up cap space, it's not just in order to get better now. It's in, it's in order to make more deals like, like the Sean Monaghan trade, right? In order to weaponize your cap space now to get assets 
and potentially flip that negative value piece for positive value at the deadline, right? Like, right. like Sean Monahan, realistically, yeah. could get could return a second round draft pick at the deadline. There is no reason we ever should have gotten the first to take on Sean Monahan. Monahan, whoa! It was just des- desperation. There was never right? enough they- money there. Like a first round pick is when you're taking on a guy that's like eight or nine million. Like if the Flyers wanted to trade JVR, it probably would have cost a first because JVR is a less useful player than Sean Monahan, and it makes and a million seven hundred thousand dollars more expensive. Yeah, but I feel like Sean Monahan, they probably could have gotten away with like a a second and a third. Something. Well, like clearly that. they couldn't, right? I mean, well, they they, they yeah, would have tried, right? Montreal, but they definitely would have tried. They they would have called everyone except like, like if Montreal was firm on that first round pick. They would have called every other team to make sure they couldn't get a better deal, right? They did not want to give up a first-round pick. Like, look at the length of the conditions on that pick. Like, quite oh clearly, God, they did not want to move a first-round pick. They, they made like it seven as annoying as possible. Picks. Yeah, it, it, like, like the, the, the range of possibilities is absolutely absurd. Ridiculous. It's that, It was a ridiculous trade. I'm so happy with it. Oh, I mean, like, like that... The Kirby Doc trade and the Venturat trade have, are all looking incredible. The question: for, Which which Kent Hughes move has impressed you the most? The Sean Monahan trade, I think, is is the the most astute move in terms of weaponizing cap space. Uh, in cap terms space of that making, we didn't have no, but exactly, it's it's literally just, making something yeah. out of nothing, right? The Habs could have possibly out of literally nothing gotten what okay. Let's say Monaghan goes on a heater and somehow gets a first-round pick. There is a a world where it is possible that the Habs get two first-round picks and one useful season out of a good player for liter- for, for for just six point three million in cap space. I mean, that is obscene. Nothing. That was the best. That is obscene. Yes, yes, but but, but, but there okay. is more about. It. With the Toronto trade, it's more about perspective and perceived value, right? You make more arguments there of like, okay, well, uh, big bad defense and playoffs and and whatnot, where you can disagree with it, but like you are giving up an asset that is deemed valuable. With the Habs, it's literally just weaponizing cap space with Monaghan. I have to mention, I definitely have to mention, it's my favorite thing to look at ever on Twitter, is they have this list of the 10 worst contracts in the NHL. Really? That that, that list exists? Whereas Nick yeah. Suzuki over over Ben Chirot at yeah, nine ten, he has to be over Ben Chirot. And every single time it's shared, it's like, yeah, Nick Suzuki has nine goals and like a billion points in six games. And, and Ben Chirot is the game. anchor on a pairing with Mord Sider, who looks awful let this us, season because he's being played with Ben numbers here. Let's do a little bit of math. That contract. Oh, has I know it. Yeah, sixteen point two million in value. Apparently, that contract is a four-year deal that pays him nineteen million dollars. They are saying at the athletic that he is worth $2.8 million over four years, or which is $700,000 a year. The league minimum. minimum salary is $775,000 a year or $750 a year, $775 next year. They are saying that Ben Sherratt, who was traded for a first round pick unprotected in 2023 and signed the $19 million contract is worth less than the league minimum. And that is a beautiful stat to me. And it's still a better contract than Nick Suzuki's. Apparently, which, yeah. look, I mean, like, 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 I know, I know, Dom has gotten a, a, an absolute metric ton of criticism for that, but at the same time, I kind of like part of me kind of respects it because, like, when he wrote wrote that article and made the graphic, like, he knew how awful that would look on him, he right? Said, like, he the said art- in the article, like, I'm gonna look like an absolute dumbass for this, but like, I wouldn't do this personally. Just the as exactly model puts it out. I don't actually subscribe to The Athletic, but somebody took a screenshot. Yeah, of it yeah. I can't wait to see how wrong about this I am. Yeah, exactly. And so I, 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 part of part of me respects it just because like, like he knew it was going to make him look dumb. But be, in, in just in order to be, uh, I guess, um, honest with his model, like he he like, he, he, he showed how it was with the model, well, right? He, so he had a few things wrong there because Eric Carlson is like leading the league in goals or something. And. He yeah, Carlson's like, been incredible. He looks like a guy that's worth eleven and a half million dollars, and it shows like the limitations of of these models, right? But the, the nice thing with, with, with models like, like Dom's is that the more seasons that it's it's working, the more data it has to work off of, right? So it's constantly improving. So it shows, okay, even now with like however big of a sample the model's working with, in order to make its predictions, 
it it is flawed. 100% it's flawed, right? Like Nick Suzuki, I definitely think the model undervalues the importance of it being a young player on a bad team, right? Especially when it's a young player on a bad team who just scored 61 points, right? And who has never missed an edge. Like 100. And, and, And who has never missed an NHL game. He's never been a healthy scratch. He's never been miss a game because of injury like like that is also important like the health record is important for for contract yeah so the, the, there are all these things that are not being quite considered for it so it it, it also shows like how much how much we can still improve right the worst contract in the league should be unanimously market mark Vlasic. yes it is the worst like that is the worst contract in the league yes and yes. there's no other way to look at Bar it. none there's Every no other contract on that list they provide some sort of value in some sort of way Yes. Uh, again, guys like Tyler Sagan are not worth their contracts, right? And and should be viewed as negative assets. But the Tyler Sagan contract is not the worst one in the in the league, and I think that's quite clear. Tyler Sagan contract, he's still going to put up like sixty or seventy points. Yeah, it's just he's not worth nine Jamie, million dollars. Jamie Ben contract, not good. But when he signed it, he was coming off an Art Ross, and he was yeah. the captain of the team. Yeah, like. People, like it's easy to hate on a contract five years into the contract because a lot of contracts that are assigned are assigned with the knowledge that at, at they're not going to be positive value at the end but they're going to be positive enough during it and look mm-hmm. i mean D- dallas made a Stanley cup final with it right like like they they got their value out of it right like, there's a terrifying contract in the league right now that hasn't started yet jonathan huberto sent an 84 million dollar deal I, I'm I'm personally a bit less concerned about that just because uh playmakers age a lot better than goal scorers do and playmaking forwards especially just age quite gracefully. The morale in Calgary can't be good right now. No, no, it can't. But I, I think there are worse contracts. I think I think like the 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 Morgan Riley and Darnell Darnell Nurse contracts are looking half. like like Morgan Riley is has been rough this year, really, really rough, and. It's not just that he's being paid that much money in Toronto, and the fact that Toronto is it, like they clearly they, they're under the cap. What like like yeah. when they started with this, the season, they were four dollars under the cap. Or two dollars. They weren't even the best cap users. I know they're like fifth. Cap Bay at zero. Yeah, it's it's but incredible. It's Morgan Riley. Sergey Bobrovsky has to be up there. But it was so weird because he was he was incredible last year, right? Like like no, he he has good seasons and he has bad seasons. Nothing in between. Yeah, and. But going back to Morgan Riley, it's also the fact that because he's made that, that much money, he is viewed as the franchise defenseman. So with his play falling oh. off now in the first year of that contract, and that that they still have to play him like a franchise defenseman when he's not playing like that type of player, that hurts. And, and Kent Hughes masterclass, uh, Darnell Nurse. Darnell Nurse, you always love bringing that one up. Yeah, I need to bring it up every single time I'm talking contracts. I'm like, yeah, our general manager that signed. A 21-year-old third overall pick to a four-year deal worth $3.3625 million. Also signed 27 or 8-year-old Darnell Nurse to an eight-year eight deal. Eight-year, $9 The third highest-paid defender, defender in the NHL, above Kale McCarr, and right below Adam Fox and Charlie McAvoy. Like, Which is hilarious. And look, Seth Jones changed the market forever. But... Yeah. Like, there is no reason for Darnell Nurse to be a quarter of a million dollars away from Seth Jones. No. No, there's not. But, yeah, like, again, like, I'm I'm very, I'm going to be fascinated to see what Kent Hughes does with his contractual skills, right? Because he's going to be able to sign some excellent value contracts for the Habs, which is an issue that Mark Bergerman had his entire tenure. Uh, with the exception Hoffman, of Yoel Armia, signing to long-term deals worth three, four million dollars. Signing bottom six forwards to long-term deals whatsoever is problematic. Um, Unless it's in like Nick Delorier, of... where it's like one point seven million. Like if you bury it, it's like one hundred eighty thousand dollars on the cap. So that's even that's then. Like season. even then, I Nick Delorier is a Philadelphia Flyer. Of course he is. He's meant he is. to be a Philadelphia Flyer. Yes, he, is he was born to be. Tortorella with, he's been a great coach this season. I would, I mean, look, Tortorella, um, if we put this in like soccer terms, 
is the type of coach that you're never going to get relegated with, but you're never going to win with either. Like, like you're never going to be in the bottom, like five in the standings, but you're never going to actually win anything with them, which in soccer is great. Cause it leaves you actually, at least you stay in your league and you don't get relegated to the league below and hockey just keeps you into the lottery when you have a lottery team. And that's not ideal because like th- this year, like it's so funny to look at like a, uh, a graph in terms of like 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 actual player value added and it's every player in the league and it shows every single Philadelphia Flyer every Philadelphia Flyer every single player is in the negative value added per game and then you have Carter Hart, Hart right? in the top right where it's just like he is, he is absolutely that carrying this team but, and, and then there, there's other weird like contracts that haven't started yet JT Miller everybody oh. hates him now and he's the reason the, the team can't sign their captain who's having who's in the midst of a career. Was it a goal game, basically? Like that's hilarious because I'm not a Canucks fan, but that is so like, if you're a Canucks fan, it is it is heartbreaking. Like, you're, you're watching your the, team the, crumble because the, play, you the a 30 year old. The thing to do with JT Miller was to, was to trade him at the deadline. Like and like they should have moved him. value for him. They would have gotten that was the that was around the deadline where where Brendan Hagel got two first rounders. Like imagine, I I look at that trade a lot differently. They traded two late firsts for two early fourths, which look that's not in the same range of picks. But but okay, in terms of like looking at it that way, I get it. But they also but they also added Taylor Radish, who is now a top six guy in Chicago, right? Like yeah. I feel like if it's just Taylor Radish for the two fourths, then it's just the, the two fourths on their own as well, right? Like it's not, it, it is a bit, a bit more complex than that. But either way, JT Miller would have gotten an absolute king's ransom at the deadline. And instead, they're like, let's let's knowingly give him sixty eight million dollars, and knowing that we're not going to be able to sign the rest of our guys, because also Kuzmenko needs a new deal next year. And he's he's gonna get paid. He looks really good. He's been solid. He's been very good for them. And again, the like Mikheyev UFA contract was seven five. one. Like I mean, look, they were able to get out of um it was a middle uh, six forward. They were able to get out of uh, Travis Hamanick, which was impressive. They got positive value for him. Which is because just the, Ottawa. It was it was it was still the Eugene Mel- Melnick Ottawa Senators, so of course it was going to like be that Ryan way. Reynolds might own a team that paid which would be hilarious. Travis Hamanick. I mean, Ryan Reynolds being an NHL owner would be absolutely hilarious. In the to city me. you happen to live in, in the city I happen to live in, so uh, I'm, I'm basically best friends with, with Ryan Reynolds now, confirmed. Uh, but yeah. And honestly, I think on that on that happy note, we should probably conclude this episode, which uh, wasn't necessarily the most organized or um, cohesive one we've ever, ever done, but it was a discussion uh, very much about prospects and contracts and Kirby Doc because, well, you got we got to talk about Kirby Doc. But he is he has twelve points in fourteen games with the Habs. He's been excellent. Uh, so, Aaron, thank you uh, for joining me today. It was a pleasure. And uh, thanks again to Scott, who was in for the first little bit of the episode. And on that note, this is it for today on the Puck and Roll podcast. And thank you very much for listening.
redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.